Hi friends, today we are talking about data collection and pre-assessments at the beginning of the year. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 68 of Elemental Conversations. These are questions that I think can come in a lot of forms. And some of these conversations I've been having with colleagues have been around the questions of how will we know when to start the year? How will we know what students remember? How can we review, but also make sure that students are not bored going over old material? Or what if we're at a new campus and we don't know what students have done? Or how do we take that information from the singing games or whatever we've been doing in those first weeks and translate it into some sort of usable data to tell us what to do next. I think that if I were to guess, I would say that we all have at least a few of these questions floating around in our brains. So let's explore um, maybe a few possible ways to address them. I've talked about this approach before, the review and assessment process. I've talked about it in other places, uh, namely a conversation with my friend Anne Molesky that is back in episode 22. So I will link that uh, in the show notes. And then there's a blog post and a video called Review and Assessment at the Beginning of the Year or something along those lines. And I will uh, link that in the show notes as well. So that is going to go into some of the thinking behind this approach, and it kind of breaks it down a little bit more. Uh, The conversation with Anne was really fun and that gets to kind of the why behind these different decisions for me personally. And then of course, Anna sharing her perspective on on the beginning of the year and pre-assessment and all of that good stuff as well. Today, I want to try to emphasize the data collection and the data application piece of this because I think, you know, as I go back and I critique the the things I've put out in the past on this, that has been a little bit vague. So I think there's room um, for just a little bit more clarity on, yes, we're going to sing songs and play games, but then what, right? (laughs) We want to assess and review in a way that is useful to us, in a way that is in alignment with how our classes run and in a way that informs instruction later. This is going to make everything so much easier because if we don't do any assessments at all, we don't really know where to start the year in terms of musical content right? This is one of the reasons that we can feel lost in our lesson planning later. Like we are, we are not sure uh, what direction to take the next couple of weeks or even the next couple of minutes uh, inside the lesson. If we have not been, as Dr. Hoke described last week, listening with our eyes and our ears and our bodies, then we come up against a lot of friction in lesson planning later assessments, if we can do them well, they basically take care of our lesson planning. So when we feel stuck and we don't know what to do next, we step back and we push it on the kids. We let the kids plan for us. They have told us what they need next. And if we're listening and if we're watching and if we know how to use that information, then we have set everyone up for just a much easier time. And this right here, this is why I love assessments so much. Assessments are very responsive. They're very interactive. Um, It's the process of inviting and listening and responding, inviting and listening and responding and all of that. And it just kind of circles and spirals throughout the year and throughout our program. It makes everything just flow so much better. 
So even though assessment can feel like kind of a stressful topic, and maybe we don't want assessment to be the first thing that we think of when we think of our active, engaging, student-centered um, classrooms where students are just learning and growing and having a fun time, even though assessment is not often paired with that kind of frame of mind, that is absolutely the way that I think about assessment. So let's talk about some of these data collection strategies and the review process in general. When I break this topic down into some elemental questions, I'm thinking through a few things and my assessments and my data collection and my review process can look different from yours and yours can look different from theirs and theirs can look different from hers because we all can answer these questions differently. As Esther Perel would probably say right here, this is what I think. It does not mean that I am right. So let's look at how we can frame this approach to review and assessment and data collection. All right. So the first question is, what do we care about? The next question is, how will we get the information we care about? And then the third one is, how will we use that information to tell us what to do next? So what do we care about? How will we get it? How will we get that information? And what will we do with that information? We're dancing around three different types of assessments here, diagnostic, formative, and summative. Diagnostic is how do we know where to start? That's our pre-assessment. Formative, how will we know what students need next? And then summative assessment, I think of as how did I do as the teacher? So today we're zooming in on diagnostic and formative assessments specifically, and the line between those two assessments is very blurry for us at the beginning of the year, for me kind of throughout the whole entire year. And actually, while we are on the subject, <laughs> the line between all of them is very blurry for me because in a spiral curriculum, every summative evaluation, every summative assessment is also a formative assessment and a diagnostic assessment for the next thing that we're going to learn right? Because our assessments are spiraling with our curriculum. So we'll see that at the end here. Um, I just want to throw it out there that in my mind, all of these are very interconnected. I went over to Instagram and I asked a few questions about assessment and review and data at the beginning of the year. And if you responded to that, thank you very much. I read every single one of those um, responses and I absolutely used them all as I was kind of thinking through um, the, the way I wanted to approach this topic. Broadly speaking, looking through those Instagram responses and then just, you know, colleagues of mine and friends and conversations that I have, I see us falling into two general camps when it comes to assessments. And I'm again, painting with very broad strokes here to illustrate a point, not because I think that we are, you know, concrete black and white in the way we think about this, but one camp, and in my, um, in my opinion, this is the smaller camp. One camp is data-based. We want concrete information on where students are because we want to plan instruction effectively. The other camp, which I think is much, much, much larger. I think many more of us fall into this camp. It's characterized by phrases like, um, we're always assessing all the time, or we just want kids to have fun, or we only want informal or observational assessments without a rubric, or we want games and no written assessments, or um, we want our assessments to feel very low pressure, very informal. So one camp is data-based and the other camp is a little bit more like flowy, organic, intuitive, no pressure, musicking based. <laughs> um, and I am suggesting, and you don't have to agree, but just for the purposes of this conversation, I am suggesting that we think about putting our feet in both camps, one foot 
is uh, a rubric and a list of guiding questions in some sort of concrete way to take data and make sense of the data. Yes, I want to have a foot over there. Also, I have a foot in the observational, active, informal, vibe check based <laughs> temperature read, fun, all of that stuff. It's a both and. I have one foot in both camps. So with that kind of framework in mind, we're going to be using both approaches in this conversation. Let's jump straight into the review process with these questions. What do we care about? How will we get that information? How will we, how will we use that information? This is also the review process if we are at the same campus. And if we are at a new campus, this is the way that we find out where to start. So um, it is diagnostic or it's a pre-assessment. It's also formative assessment. And then our summative will come at the end. All right, our process is, and if you've heard those other episodes, this is already um, review for you. We are going to do an active musical experience, singing songs, playing games, interacting with each other. This is the main assessment, the active experience. The games are the assessment. Next, this aural awareness. Can students tune in their ears and orally identify some target elements? The third step is vocabulary and some sort of visual representation or a symbolic representation. Are we on the same page in terms of what we call these sounds and how we show them in this class? And then the last step is an extension, ideally some sort of creative invitation that can, I'm going to use the word summarize, summarize what we've learned so far, and then kickstart our next musical project that we're going to work on. So active experience, oral awareness, uh, vocabulary, and extension. Other places that I've talked about this, I've described these phases as do, notice, label, and use. Let's look at check one, active musicking. This is the singing songs and playing games part. It's probably going to last a few weeks, right? The first few weeks of school are repertoire, their routines. Um, they are getting to know students. They're getting students used to just what it's like to be a musician in this space. So we are singing songs and playing games here. And as we sing these songs and play games, we are listening and watching primarily for three things. Number one, to what extent do students keep a steady beat? Number two, to what extent do students match pitch in their singing voices? And then three, what is the vibe of the classroom? How do students interact with each other? We can format these questions into qualitative data about the whole class or quantitative data about the whole class. We might also observe individual students in the class as they are musicking in the large ensemble. It's not a solo situation. It's a large ensemble singing song, playing games kind of situation. Uh, but we can observe individual students in the large ensemble and collect qualitative or quantitative. So qualitative and or quantitative for individuals and or the whole class. Like a data sweep is how some people refer to this. The musical information itself is pretty self-explanatory. We know what it sounds like when everyone's singing in unison in a clear, resonant singing voice. And we know what a collective beat sounds like and looks like. So the, the musical portions of that are pretty easy for us to kind of wrap our brains around. With the student interaction piece, I am looking for things like, uh, do all students participate? 
And if I, if they don't participate, then what do I interpret? Interpret is the keyword as their non-participation motivation. Do I interpret it as nervousness? Um, maybe I'm getting the impression that they are too excited to participate, or maybe they're holding back until they get a better idea of what I'm asking them to do. And again, I want to emphasize that this is specifically my interpretation because I never know what anyone else is thinking. I can never tell what anyone's motivation is. I'm just making a guess. Um, I'm also thinking about, do students seem happy to be partners with anyone in the class? Are there social hierarchies that are already forming or maybe they've carried over from last year? Um, does one student or a handful of students seem to have a particular sway over the group? Or are there any students who seem like they are starting to be excluded? Another thing I'm listening for, especially with younger students, are we using words to communicate or are we still using our bodies? <laughs> um, an example of using your body to communicate instead of your words to communicate is if I say, uh, find a partner and everyone's just like grabbing each other's arms instead of, hey, would you like to be my partner? That is something that I want to note. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about data collection for all of this, because this is kind of a lot to keep track of, right? There are two different documents for us to talk about here. Um, let's start with the one inside the planning binder. That way you can imagine what it might look like and you can make your own, or you might use the one that's in there already, or you might decide that you want to come up with a completely different system. And that is good too. Okay. So I have a seating chart and I am looking at it right now. So I have circles where we can write student names and then a grid next to each name where we can mark individual quantitative data. Probably won't use that the first day, but it's there because we'll want to use it other days. So that's on the front. It's the seating chart and a place to mark scores. On the back, there are two options for us to print off. One is designed for qualitative data and one is designed for quantitative data. So you can choose the back that you want to have, or if you just want to copy and paste different um, blocks on here, you can mix and match this. The qualitative data one is just an empty box that we number with the date. It has a place for the assessment topic, and then we can jot down whatever notes we want. So this box after second grade, if I were going to do the qualitative data route on the whole class, uh, the second grade class might say that was really fun. They seem happy to be partners with anyone. Some students aren't matching pitch, but everyone is at least chanting the melodic contour. Uh, beat keeping is good. And that's all I need to write for the first day. That is plenty of information. So that's the qualitative option on the back. The quantitative one has a place for the date and the assessment topic, same as the other side, and then four levels for performance descriptors of a rubric. So let's take that singing voice, uh, pitch matching assessment that we're doing here. The performance descriptions for that might be four: the entire class matches pitch in a resonant singing voice. A three might be lots of students match pitch in their singing voice, but a small few are chanting the melodic contour below the melody. A two might be a few students match pitch in their singing voice, but a lot of students are chanting the melodic contour below the melody. And then a one might be very few students are singing in their singing voice or chanting below the melodic contour. Basically, um, there's not a lot happening in, in the classroom right now in terms of um, a musical output. 
And then if we need to fill in some extra information that isn't on the rubric, because that is the strength and the weakness of quantitative data, right? We might write NP for non-participation in the performance level descriptor or some other quick note that we kind of jot down uh, that we are observing. We might write that down in the rubric to kind of um, layer a qualitative element on top of the quantitative element uh, because it rounds out the story. It gives us more information to work with. Okay, so that's the first document that I'm talking about. It's the seating and assessment chart inside the planning binder, or it's in the uh, assessment course if you're in that as well. Let me give you another option for data collection that we can use through this whole process as well, not just in the first phase, because it's going to depend on what kind of documentation you care about having and how your brain works, right? So options are good. I will link this in the show notes, but this is a free PDF download with qualitative data it's one page. It has a table with categories and those categories are do notice label use. So outlining the review process. And then there's a cell in the, in the table for the goal, the objective, the activity itself, and then the data collection. The data collection is just an empty cell where we can fill in whatever notes we have. So that second document, that free PDF download, that's a much more streamlined way of just looking at this whole process at a glance. And then you would just print off one for each class and you can print them off front and back, whatever you want to do. Okay. Let me say this here. Do I think that you have to take down some sort of written data collection in the first weeks of school? No, absolutely not. That's the second question. How will we get information that we care about? And how will we use that information to tell us what to do next? The third question. For me, the way I answer these two questions, questions two and three, if I don't have a way to keep track of the information, it's like the information doesn't exist at all. <laughs> and again, that's me personally. I don't know how I would know what to do next if I were not able to hold my observations in my hands. I can't hold them in my head. I have too much in my head. It just, it goes out. So I want to have a way that I can remember each class. If I were not taking data, I would absolutely feel a little bit overwhelmed. And again, this is why I love data and assessment. It helps me in the same way that doing a brain dump, like checklist of things I need to get done, or in the same way that journaling helps me. This data collection is like a class journal for me. I think it's very, very helpful. Okay, so, so far, this has all been with the first step of the review process. This is all with the active musical experience, the singing songs, playing games part. We give a musical invitation, we hang back, we see how students respond, and we record the data in some way that we can use. Okay, so now what? Let's pause here and talk about interpreting these data. If we're not matching pitch, and if we're not keeping a steady beat, then guess what? It's very easy. Now we know where to start. <laughs> this is a one and done assessment. We will hang out here for younger students. That means that we are zooming through something like a kindergarten ish sequence for older students. It's going to be our older beginners sequence. So if we waltz into a new campus and after a week or two, we see that students are not musicking at the level of proficiency that we want to see before we move on to other things in a scope and sequence, there's not a problem. There's nothing wrong. No one is behind. We know where to start. And that is very, very exciting. 
if we are rocking and rolling, right, then we can just move on. It might be in the same class. It might be over the course of a few weeks. It just depends. It depends on your situation. If students aren't keeping a steady beat yet and they're not matching pitch yet in the first class, you might choose to dip your toe into this next phase and just see what happens. But the primary goal will still be to stick with the active musicking phase. Okay, so we've passed checkpoint one, or maybe we've decided through our assessment data that checkpoint one is our bus stop, and this is where we get off, and this is where we're gonna hang out for a little bit. Let's imagine that we're ready to move on to step two. This is oral identification. We know that our students can music in an ensemble classroom setting from checkpoint one. Now, are students aware of what they are doing as they music? How are they thinking about the musical sounds they hear, the musical sounds that they produce? Most of us listening, most of us engaged in this conversation follow a sound before sight approach as our kind of guiding principle. And we can really think of this as musical thinking before the symbol, certainly before the standardized Western notation symbol. If we're going to be on the same page later, I want to see how students are constructing their mental maps of these melodies, of these rhythms, of this form, all of that. I want to see how they are thinking about music before we move on. And this is where things can get a little bit more concrete for us. We get a little bit more like data that look like data. <laughs> so what do students recall? How are they thinking about musical sounds? This is also where it's very helpful to have a list of concepts and skills that we taught last year and that we know we're going to teach this year. We hope that we teach this year, I should say. I did a video on curriculum maps and musical sequences if you're interested in digging into that a little bit more. Uh, so I will link that in the show notes. Let's imagine that we are starting with second grade and let's imagine that we know we taught so and me last year, but that's different than knowing that students remember so and me this year, right? Or maybe we are at a new campus and we don't know what they learned last year, but we know that the district starts with so and me or that many teachers start with so and me, or maybe it's possible that someone at some time has used so and me. <laughs> and that is uh, what we want to figure out. So we're going to sing a song and play a game that uses so and me. That's the assessment checkpoint one. And after we have passed that, we can ask some questions. I just wrote this process out um, for the planning binder. So it's fresh on my mind. We're going to sing the, the song and play the game to Ickle, Ockle, Blue, Bottle, Fishes in the Sea. If you want a partner, please pick me. Great. So we've sung the song. We've played the game. We're matching pitch. We're keeping a steady beat. Second grade, will you please turn your hand into a fish and copy me? Just the first four beats. And we are tracing the melodic contour. Ickle, ockle, blue bottle. With our hand fish swimming around in front of us. Which direction does our fish move? Let's do it again. The fish is moving up and down. How many pitches do you hear? Students might say two, they might say four. We can ask them to show us on their fingers. They might answer as the whole class. It just depends on, um, again, the type of data we want to collect. And then we might say, think 
think about what you notice about the high sound and the low sound. Does it sound like anything that we know? Please think about what you notice. Hold your answer in your head. Now, please tell your shoulder partner what you notice about these sounds and make sure you listen with your voice off while your partner is talking and make sure that you also talk when they are done and share your own idea. So we have two goals here. Well, three. The first one is that there's some sort of musical information that's being transferred that we're talking about. But our other goal is that I am listening to my partner. And my third goal is I am talking. I am contributing to this conversation. So that's a huge task <laughs> for second grade. There's a lot going on with this one small activity. So students turn to a partner. And this question is kind of open-ended on purpose. Some students are going to say it sounds like high and low. Some students might say, up and down. Some students might show body soulfish for so and me, but not call it so and me. And some students might only be able to say it sounds like this and not give a description at all. And as students are talking, we're just walking around the circle. This is the time to make our own observations about what's happening. Now, let's imagine that we ask students, what do you notice about these pitches? And we don't hear anyone organically describe them as high and low. Great. That gets written down in our notes because now we know what to do next. We're not behind. We know where to start. More songs, more games, more student interaction. And we're going to work on with these so and me melodies. We're going to work on guiding students' ears to hear a high sound and a low sound. This is uh, entirely possible that that's where we will end up starting if we are at a new campus. If we notice, for the most part, people are describing the sounds as high and low or something along those lines, we might go a step further. We might throw up two graphics on the board of the first four beats in graphic notation. And one is showing the melody and one is showing something that is not the melody. One matches the melodic contour. One does not match the melodic contour. And we might say, which of these shows our song and ask students to show us on their fingers. Or because, again, this is going to be different in every single classroom, depending on what we hear from students as they are talking to each other, we might move straight into that third phase, the vocabulary in the symbol. We might move straight to that third phase in that same exact class and say, music friends in this class, what do we call these two pitches with a high sound and a low sound that are a skip apart? And students turn and talk to their neighbor and maybe they remember so and me. Maybe one person does. Maybe one person starts singing it so me so me and everyone else their ears kind of perk up and they're like yeah so me so me and they start singing it with them right all of these are different scenarios so we can see that this process is very intuitive and some people would describe it as informal but do you see how there are specific checkpoints along the way there are specific things that we are listening and watching for and there are specific ways that we are gathering this information this data from students in order to give us the information that we need to plan for what's next. The most important thing about this phase, the reason that I think it is um, very, very useful is that students have already come up with all of the important information about this element. They've done it on their own in this phase. The only missing piece might be what we call the element in this class. So while we're here, let's talk about other quick ways of collecting data in this phase, but then just across our teaching in general. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Very, very simple. This melody has so and me in it. Does it also have 
Students are going to show a thumbs up or thumbs down. Yes, it has law. No, it does not have law. And I normally have students also give me a thumbs in the middle if they're not sure. Next, we can use numbers. So let's imagine that uh, we are going to sing a portion of a song and we'll say, how many steady beats did we sing? Students hold up the number. Uh, what beat had the most sounds? Or how many sounds were on beat one? Or which beat didn't have a sound on it? Students, again, for all of these questions are holding up uh, fingers to give their answer. And we can ask this for melodic questions as well. How many steady beats are in our song? Which beat has the highest sound or which beat has the lowest sound? And students can show their answer on their fingers with numbers. Next, shapes. This is just a fun one to, to kind of um, let students have a little bit more creative agency in how they give their answer. So um, imagine with me that we have a melody in graphic notation on the board. Which melody in graphic notation on the board matches our song? One melody has a rectangle to it next to it. One melody has a triangle next to it. And students can show their shape with their hands. And students get super creative with like all the different variations that they're going to use to make their circle and their triangle and their rectangle and whatever it is. If we decide, and not all of us will decide this, and we don't all have to, if we've decided that we want to move on from the overarching kind of data sweep of the ensemble and move on to get some individual data of the individual musicians, this is a very easy way to do it because we have our seating chart right here. We have our place for individual notes. We have our lesson plan and we can mark, mark which students are still struggling. I want to clarify here because I think this can get misinterpreted. This is not punitive. This score is not punitive. It is not a grade. I am not marking students who did not get it correct because I want to point out the deficits in their learning. This is not a mark on their character, right? I do it because if there are three or four students who need help, I want to know so that I can help them. And this will let me differentiate later. One last note here on marking students who did not get the answer correct. I am expecting in something like this for it to be like, like three or four, maybe five students who are giving me the wrong answer. If it's more than that, like at a certain point, it, it just becomes a vibe check for the whole ensemble. And we're going to go back. And this is again, where we start the review process next class. So I mentioned that to clarify that I would expect to be just making a few little markings during class, not meticulously going around the entire seating chart and writing yes, no, yes, 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 no, 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 no. Right. Okay. We can also do a self-evaluation where students share with us how they are doing. A very easy one is a fist to five. My sister is a first grade teacher and this is like her bread and butter. She integrates it into her teaching so seamlessly and she's just getting so much information from students and students are always thinking about their own learning. It's very, very exciting to watch. So a five is like, I totally understand this. Please make it harder. And a zero or a fist is like, I am completely lost. I do not know what's happening. So collecting data from students about how they are thinking and how they are thinking about their thinking is very important. So all of this is checkpoint two, oral identification. 
let's look at checkpoint three, vocabulary and symbol. I mentioned that we might jump straight to checkpoint three, right? This is the step where we get everyone on the same page about what we call this musical pattern, how we show it in this class. More important than what we call it and how we show it is how we actually use it, which is why we're starting not with the vocabulary and the symbol, not with showing a half note and saying, how many steady beats does this get? We are starting instead with the game, with the active musical experience, because that is where the actual musicking is happening. We are talking about the notation of the music. It's not the music itself. And real musicians use so many different terms and symbols, and they talk about it in so many different ways. And just to extend that further, real musicians also don't call it anything, and they don't write it down at all. They use the sounds to communicate, right? So there are many different types of communication pathways that real musicians use. And because there are so many different pathways that real musicians use, it becomes all the more important to specify what we mean when we say beat or when we say high or loud, things like that. Okay, so for this moment, this vocabulary and symbol piece, this is a closed answer, one specific term, one specific symbol that we are looking for kind of moment. We want to pair how the element is described, so high and low if we're looking at and we've already done that in the last phase. We want to pair how it's described with what it's called in this class and how we are going to show it. So hand signs or standardized Western notation or whatever it is. So there's kind of an alignment with the description, with the sound, with the name, with the symbol, all of that kind of gets packaged together in this phase. This is also a great time for students to be the teachers. So we can throw some questions on the board. Same thing that we've just been talking about. How would we describe the sound? What is it called? And how do we show it in this class? Depending on the age of the students and the specific concepts that we are reviewing, here is one possible structure for this review process. We can start off with a think pair share. So students think of their answer, hold it in your head, and then turn to a shoulder partner and work together to answer the questions on the board. Students don't need to answer all three questions. And then as students talk, we are just walking around the room and listening to student conversations. This is the time to jot down any sort of qualitative observations that we have. And then I like to do a partner pair as well. So pairs of students join with another group and they create a group of four. And in that group of four, students are combining their information. Um, because some students will recall things that other groups don't, right? So it's helpful to kind of join the pieces of the musical puzzle together through this small group work. So again, in that first and second step of the active musicking and then the aural awareness, students have already done all of the work. They've done all of the heavy lifting in a sound before sight model. This piece right here is just a very quick label to get us all on the same page. Okay, so now we are ready to use it consciously. We've been using it this whole time right? But now we are going to use it in a conscious way to kind of put a bow on this review and assessment process. This is our last 
step. We're going to give students some sort of invitation to use the element um, in some sort of a summative, I'll use the word summative way here, <laughs> even though, like I said earlier, this summative assessment tells us as the teacher how we have done. And I think of this as another formative assessment, because if we get information back that we have room to improve in our teaching here, we're going to go back and we're going to keep musicking. We're not going to just zoom ahead with the scope and sequence because that's what's on the scope and sequence, right? This is a formative summative assessment, if you want to think about it that way, because the information is going to inform what we do next. So this might be something like arranging rhythmic building blocks. If we are working with a rhythmic element, um, it could be improvising a response to our melody. So we sing something and students improvise a response with the solfege syllables that we want them to use or with the solfege pitches that we want them to use. Um, it could be creating a B section of some kind. It might be uh, creating a new version of a game that has this specific you know, target rhythm or target melodic element in there. The theme here, you'll notice is that there is some sort of creative invitation. Now, I do not think that it is absolutely imperative that we use a creative invitation as an assessment here. Uh, it does not need to happen every single summative assessment for the review process. But I do think that creative invitations give us a lot of really important information that we don't get with closed answer activities like reading and writing and part singing. Anything where there is one correct answer that the teacher has predetermined ahead of time, right? Like uh, reading the rhythm on the board or dictating something by ear, even though those are very, very, very impressive skills. We get, uh, we get more information when we can kind of go deeper in our depth of knowledge questions and uh, kind of prompt students to use a little bit more critical thinking and creative thinking. So that's something that we are going to be thinking about here here with this fourth checkpoint of using the information consciously. The data that we use here, the data that we are going to collect from students will be a little bit different based on the specific musical task that we are giving students. And for that matter, it will be different for each of us, depending on the types of data that we care about gathering, right? Because we can all answer these questions differently. So if you are doing a, uh, you know, sight reading a rhythm as the summative assessment, that will be a different set of data than if you are asking students to arrange a rhythm with rhythmic building blocks. But regardless of, of this, um, the form it takes, it's going to point to something about a content objective. So did you accurately perform blank thing in blank context, whether that be um, X rhythmic element in this sight reading activity or in this uh, rhythmic arrangement? It'll probably also, our summative data will also probably have some sort of self-assessment or a way for students to think about their thinking. So any sort of process-oriented question can be useful here. That might mean that students fill out an exit ticket or they write their answer on the board or they write it on butcher paper or we just have a class discussion about what the arranging or composing or improvising or sight reading or whatever it is, what that process was like for them. And then if there is any sort of larger concept that we have been working on as well, like a macro concept, then we can talk about that as well. So an example of that um, inside the planning binder for the review process, the broader concept is 
ensemble. This is part of the review process in the September concept plan. So thinking about how we all have a place in the ensemble, we all contribute to the ensemble, we all belong in the ensemble. Uh, so this is the time to wrap up any closing conversations for, for what that means. And we can reflect on how we worked together as an ensemble in our summative project, whatever it was. Something that we've not addressed yet is this idea of repertoire and that's interconnected to me with this idea of helping students not be bored by the review process. And I think that is absolutely a, a valid area of concern. It is also interconnected with this idea of a transfer of understanding. And when we look at uh, students constructing knowledge and really understanding a concept, we see their understanding in the extent to which it transfers to something new. So I like to use a combination of known songs and rhymes and games and stuff like that, and new songs and rhymes and games that students have not heard to see if they can transfer that knowledge of the melodic element or the rhythmic element or whatever team uh, building social interaction skills we had last year to see if that can transfer to a new situation because that's really where we get um, a lot of information about how students are orally identifying these patterns in the repertoire. One reason that this is not a huge, huge concern for me personally, like at the front of my mind, number one, I'm at a new campus, so it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't affect me. The, but for um, colleagues that are at old campuses, when we think about transferring this knowledge to a new song, a new game, and I'm asking students on their own to pull out this pattern and tell me what they hear. That is one reason the, the novelty of a new singing game makes me not as concerned about being bored in the review process. The other thing is the whole point of the data collection piece is that we are getting information from students so that we can go at their pace. Ideally, we have structured the pacing of the year so students have the appropriate amount of support with an appropriate level of challenge. And then the last reason that I am not um, especially concerned about students getting bored, in addition to the transfer of understanding to new repertoire, and in addition to this hands-on data approach that we are using, where we are um, collecting data in an active way and using those data to inform future instruction, in addition to those things, we also have this piece of what the review process looks like, which is singing songs and playing games. And I'm not telling you what is inside this game for you to pull out. I am asking you a question. And if you don't know the answer, then that tells me we're not reviewing. We're kind of like reteaching it, right? And if you give me the answer right away, then what am I going to do? I'm going to just move on to the next thing in our scope and sequence. This is a very different review process than me standing at the board and saying, friends, which one of these is a half note or giving you a worksheet. And if you've listened to those other, um, to that podcast episode I did with Anne, I have done a worksheet where I said, you know, name, circle the treble clef and which one is a half note and give me the names of the, the treble clef lines and spaces, right? That seems like a little bit more boring review pre-assessment vibe. Uh, playing a singing game with my friends and then improvising something or arranging a new rhythm, that sounds like review that most kids would be very happy to do. 
So in terms of repertoire, I like to bring in maybe one or two songs uh, per concept from previous years, but that's not really where the bulk of the attention is. Again, because I am not expecting to teach this from scratch, I'm expecting to have, again, that transfer piece be a pretty big part of the process here. All right, we have talked about a lot of answers to our questions of what do we care about? How will we get information about what we care about? And how will we use that information as we plan out the rest of the year? These are kind of the questions to the questions that many of us are asking as we gear up for the fall. So how do we know where to start this year? How will we know what students remember? Um, how can we review and make sure to the best of our abilities that students are not bored? Um, what do we do if we are at a new campus and we don't know what students have done? And then very importantly, what we've kind of focused on today is how do we take that information from our singing games in a way that is usable? How do we use those data in, uh, in something that really informs our next steps because again if we get this piece right if we learn how to listen and how to watch and how to be receptive to what students are telling us musically that takes care of so many headaches later the exciting thing about this approach in my opinion is that it prioritizes what students do with music and how they think about music over what musical symbols or western notation symbols they have memorized right my administrator described it as hands-on music and i think that is a great description this is hands-on assessment this is hands-on data and we can use those data to let us know what to do next <laughs>